The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Giants fans and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of the SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine, and today's show is going to be a continuation of what we've been doing here on Big Blue View Radio lately, which is previewing New York Giants opponents for the 2019 season. And today's team that we're going to talk about is the team that everybody outside of the Massachusetts area loves to hate. That, of course, is the the seemingly, you know, perennially outstanding New England Patriots. And here to uh, to help us break down the Patriots is Burned Buckmasser of SB Nation's Pat's Pulpit Burned. Thank you very much for uh, for joining us and uh you know I, I I had to I had to take a little take just just a just a tiny shot at the Patriots there. <laughs> no no I mean I'm used to that. Uh well first off thanks for having me aboard. It's really a pleasure to join you on this lovely Wednesday. So uh what better way to spend the offseason than talk about the Patriots and the Giants, two of the most storied franchises in all of football who have never actually played, I think. I can't recall one game that they met, but I think we figured least, something out. At least n- not, one that, not one that Patriots fans actually want to remember anyway. No, actually it's like two they don't want to remember. <laughs> well, you know, we are, we are not going to let you forget those. And, 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 and one thing that I will point out that I say sometimes is... Big Blue View came into existence at the beginning of the 2007 season, in the February before the 2007 season. (laughs) So here at Big Blue View, we take full credit for that Super Bowl. Maybe we should take credit for both Super Bowls, but we're not taking any credit for any of the bad stuff that happened in between. Well, you're welcome. (laughs) Uh, On behalf of all of the Patriots losing Super Bowl 42. 
You're welcome. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we have to we have to toot our own horn a little bit here. And uh, by the way, folks, y- you may hear on the line, you may hear Burns' accent a little bit. Burns, why don't you uh, tell folks so a little bit about yourself, where you are, where you're from, how you got into uh, to working at Pat's Pulpit. Well, it's actually a funny story because, uh, like, my accent is is far east Boston, like six time zones east of Boston. So uh, I actually live in Austria. I was born here, and I kind of it's it's a funny story. I don't want to bore people into how I became a Patriots fan and not a Giants fan, but it's basically like watching Super Bowl thirty six on Austrian television. My parents recorded the game, and I was like watching it the next day. And everybody was rooting or saying that the Rams would win. And so it was like, hey, I, I, I hope those other guys win. I have no idea what the game is about. I have never heard any of these names, but I'm rooting for those guys to win. So <laughs> my parents recorded it. I went through the next day because it's like 2 o'clock at night here, and I was in school back then, so I, I wouldn't be able to watch it. And they recorded the game, and I got home, put the tape in, watched the game, didn't understand a thing, but I kind of, like, got, as, as the game went along, I kind of got a feel for it. And then there's, like, two minutes left in the game. The Rams just tied a contest, and boom, the tapes, the tape just ends. Because my parents didn't know how long the game would be, <laughs> so I never actually saw the game-winning field goal of Super Bowl 36 until it was replayed like next year. <laughs> but I was I was hooked. I was I mean that was the moment that I really fell in love with the game just because of the intensity and like the because I didn't understand it and I wanted the challenge to understand it. So it you know it kind of it kind of went along and and now I'm here and now I'm covering the Patriots as my full-time job. So it's quite the journey. Hey, it's amazing how things happen and Giants fans who listen to the Valentine's Views podcast and who have read Big Blue View for a while know this, but one of my sons, my youngest son, happens to be a Patriots fan, which, which, (laughs) well, give him, you know, all sorts of grief about this. And there's a story behind that because, and and it, and it involves the, uh, the 2007 Super Bowl. He was, you know, he was 10 years old, 11 years old at the time, and he sat down to watch the game with me. And he knew that I was covering the Giants and sitting there writing for a Giants website and what I did. And he decided that if he was going to sit there and watch the game with me, that he was going to annoy me. (laughs) <laughs> he had no rooting interest in the game, but he decided he was going to root for the Patriots and just just to annoy me. And, and it continues to this day. So that sounds like that sounds like the perfect way to become a Patriots fan is just to annoy people. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm still not happy about it. I'm, I'm sorry about it. I have, to, I have a similar story with my own dad. Um, he's not, he's not, a, he's not into, into football as much as I am, um, but we're both really into soccer. We, you know, in Austria, soccer is a big sport. And there are two teams playing in Vienna who are, who are like hated rivals. And my dad's a fan of the one team and I'm a fan of the other. 
And every time those two teams meet, we're like ruffling our feathers a bit, just because it's fun. But I like I notice that there's a part of him that's disappointed in me that I didn't become a fan of his team. Well, somehow my I'm a Yankee fan as well when it comes to baseball, and somehow my son is also not a Yankee fan. So so we we have issues. He and I he and I <laughs> he and I have issues. And, you know, yeah, there, mean, there there are there are things he he really needs to apologize for. Yeah, I mean, we we can talk about it, Ed. I have all day long. I have no no psychological training whatsoever, but I'm a good listener, <laughs> and I know well, I know how it feels to be a Patriots fan. Well, let let me let me ask you this, and I and I know the I know the answer to this, um, but do you guys ever get tired of the winning? No, <laughs> no. I mean, I, I gotta, uh, you know, I have to quote Herm Edwards here, even though, you know, Giants fans don't like that man, probably, but you play to win the game. And well, that's like, that's, that's, I mean, I enjoy all aspects of the game as a fan, but as a fan of a specific team, I can't, I, I can't get enough of them winning. It's good for 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 my feelings. It's good for my mental health. It's like mm-hmm. when the Patriots play well, there's like millions of people that are happy, and everybody else would be miserable anyway because they expect them to win. So it's you know I don't think anybody's ever getting tired of winning. But I mean, you saw a bunch of giant Super Bowls, and you'd enjoy them probably. So. I mean, why not us? I mean, in in five years, it's probably over anyway. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you. You know, this is the Brady Belichick era still, and it has to be coming to a close at some point in the not too distant future. How much longer do you think that Tom Brady can play, and how much longer do you think? that this run might last for New England. I mean Brady always said that he wants to that he wanted to play until he's 45. And I've not seen one sign of him slowing down. I mean his his 2018 season was not as marvelous as the ones coming before that, but he was still one of the top 3 quarterbacks in the NFL. He's still good. He's physically good. He knows the game on a level unlike any other quarterback maybe in the history of the game. So I can totally see him going until he's 45. The question is like, is it like, will he retire on the day of his 45th birthday, which is, which is like in August, or will he play his 45 age season, which depending on, on the definition will be like three or four years. And I can totally see him pulling that off. With Belichick, I think it's a little more tricky because he said a few, like 10 years ago, he said he didn't want to be like Marv Levy and coach into his 70s, which would like also be four years because I think he's 66 now. Um, But Belichick's, Belichick's hard to judge. I mean, there's a part of me that says he will want to stick around after Brady goes just because he loves the game so much and he wants to add to his legacy or whatever. But 
if I had to give a conservative statement, I think that we will see like a dent in the Patriots' performance in about four years, unless Josh McDaniels and Mick Casario and maybe Belichick figure something out. And as they have shown us in the last 20 years, they know how to figure things out. So the Brady run will come to an end in three, four years. But if the Patriots run really comes to an end at that point, it's it's really impossible to tell. Yeah, oh boy, three or four more years. Just just what everybody wants <laughs> to hear. I mean, so, everybody needs a good enemy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, this is true. And and I suppose as a Yankee fan, you know, for so long the Yankees won year after year after year after year. So I suppose I'm not going to complain too much about that. But listen, Bernd, I need to ask you, what's the over and under as we as we sort of switch topics here a little bit? What's the over under for you on what week Rob Gronkowski returns? <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, if I if I had to take an over and under, I would say like week. Week nine, week ten, maybe. But I've seen pictures of him, and he's like the skinniest dude on earth now. He's slowly disappearing. Wow. So I don't, I don't see him coming back. I, I wish he would because he's like, I mean, he's a beast. We all know that, and he's like such an entertaining guy, such a fun person, like a character that the game rarely sees. Uh. If if I had to guess when he would come back, it would be like week nine, week ten, maybe around the Patriots bye week. But I just don't see it happening. Oh, I think there are a lot of people that assume that that it will happen, but uh, but I I don't know either. His body, he's had so many injuries with the back and 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 other things that I I think he's probably getting out at a really good time. Oh yeah, I mean. He just won a Super Bowl. He he's a surefire Hall of Famer. He has done everything that could be asked for from a second round draft pick. I mean, he did it all. And his buddy, he's like he's a really imposing figure, but he's had his fair share of injuries and surgeries. And I can't blame him one bit for deciding to retire. I think it's a good decision for him to make at this point. And as much as it pains me to say, the Patriots are probably better off that it happened now instead of like dragging it on for a few years. And maybe he's not that good anymore. We don't know. But I'm happy that he decided to retire. And for his sake, I hope he stays retired. But we'll have to wait and see. Bernd, before I forget to do this, let's take a quick break here for a word from uh, from our sponsors we'll come right back we'll talk uh, a whole lot more i have uh, more questions about how the uh, how the patriots are going to uh, to replace rob gronkowski and a few other uh, things to talk about in relation to the patriots so we'll take a quick break and we'll come right back All right, Giants fans, we are back here on Valentine's Views podcast talking to Burned 
Buckmaster of Pat's Pulpit about the New England Patriots. And before we took a break there, we were talking about Rob Gronkowski. So the question becomes, all right, if Gronkowski is not going to play, how are the Patriots going to replace not only you know Gronkowski at the tight end position, but what does the plan look like for trying to replace all of that production? Well, behold, mighty Matt Lacoste. No, uh, I mean, the Patriots signed a bunch of tight ends over the course of the offseason, including Lacoste, who used to play for the Giants. But I feel like the there will be a shift away from the tight end position as being such a focal point in the offense, more towards the running game and the running backs. The Patriots have one of the deepest backfields in all of football with Sony Michel heading into his second year. James White is as good a receiving back as there is in the NFL. They have Rex Burkett. They drafted Damian Harris in the third round this year. There's a lot of depth and talent there, and I feel like this is the position that will see most of the, like the target shares that Gronkowski received over the last year. And, I mean, also the wide receiver position. I mean, it's a bit up in the air with basically only Julian Edelman and Philip Dorsett returning from last season. But they also have to play a role. I mean, it's impossible to replace Gronkowski with one player. Everybody has to step up his game. So... I can see the running backs doing that. I can see the wide receivers taking on a different role. But I kind of don't expect the tight ends to be that prominently featured, at least early on in the season. Let's talk a little bit about the Patriots draft. And that also sort of uh, piggybacks on the replacing Gronkowski's targets slash production. The, uh, the Patriots' first pick was wide receiver Nikhil Harry, you know, who is a guy who the Giants, who at least I thought that if the Giants drafted a wide receiver early in the draft, he is the type of guy, a bigger target, a big bodied kind of guy. He's the kind of guy that I thought the Giants might be interested in. The other New England draft pick that I'm interested in is the quarterback, Jarrett Stidham. Just give me some thoughts on the Patriots draft class and what you've seen to this point, and uh, you know, especially regarding those two players. Well, overall, I'd say the draft class is like typical Patriots: a lot of developmental players, death at key positions. I mean, the Patriots don't go after the flashy guys; they go about they go after guys that they feel can have a role no matter how their position tag looks like. I mean, uh, Harry, for example, as you mentioned, is a bigger guy, uh, boundary receiver, but I feel like the Patriots might also move him around the formation to create favorable one-on-ones against smaller defensive backs, for example. Um, I think, generally speaking, Harry was pretty good. I mean, you know, off-season workouts always tough to judge, but uh, he looked really good uh, early on during OTAs. I mean, there were, there were only four sessions open to the media. He looked really good in the first one. 
And then during minicamp, he went mostly against Stefan Gilmore. And Stefan Gilmore is an all-pro cornerback, one of the best in the league. So this kind of shows me the Patriots want to make it hard for him early on just to get him better, just to make him develop his technique against one of the best corners in the game. And I feel like you can't be happy about his about the point he's at at this stage in his development. Uh, I think Stidham is a bit a, a little bit more tricky to judge because he's obviously behind Tom Brady on the death chart. He's also behind Brian Hoyer, who will be the Patriots number two this year. I mean, Stidham is a roster lock. He was picked in the fourth round. Uh, he's a developmental guy. Will he be Brady's successor one day? I'm not sure about that. But the Patriots obviously liked his his accuracy and what he brought to the table and his overall body of work in college. Even though his last season was not that marvelous compared to other quarterbacks. But they see something in him and they try to they will try to develop him as best as possible to maybe take over the number two role next year. It's very interesting when I think about the Patriots and I think about how long, you know, they have been going on this run. As you said, it's it's basically twenty years now. One of the things that I have kind of shaken my head at over the years is in some ways how little it seems like a lot of NFL teams have learned from the way that the Patriots do business. And by that, I mean in some of the ways that they that they treat free agency, in some of the ways that they are willing to move on from players rather than, like they did with Nate Solder of the Giants, you know, rather than spending big dollars to to uh or overpaying a guy at a given position they'll just move on and find a, a cheaper way to to replace a player which they you know and, and we talk about solder we talk about left tackle and that is what the patriots did last year with uh, with trent brown and, and it's a whole sort of it, it's a great look at the patriots philosophy because they they replaced Solder with Trent Brown, and when Trent Brown played well and earned himself a big payday, the Patriots didn't give it to him. They just moved on, and now they'll use, I believe, Isaiah Wynn at the left tackle. I mean, are you a little bit surprised when when you think about it that that more teams haven't sort of gone to school on the way that the Patriots do business? I think that's a, that's a really a really tough topic because. Uh, one thing that Bill Belichick has going for him is that he's almost immediately had success when he came to New England. In 2000, the Patriots had a losing record, but in 2001, they won the Super Bowl. And from that point on, he kind of was you know, given the benefit of the doubt a lot. And he proved himself right most of the time. That's undoubtedly the case. But I feel like a lot of general manager, a lot of head coaches are on the so much pressure when they enter a job that they wouldn't even be in a position to do what Belichick does, like moving on from a first-round draft pick after two years, not extending a big free agent, stuff like that. The Patriots can do that because 
Belichick has put himself in a position to do that. And if I look like at the Giants, for example, I mean, Dave Gettleman has to to prove, prove himself in a way, but he's, you know, does he have the leeway to make the unpopular decisions? Daniel Jones will absolutely show that, but um, I think that it's really hard to copy the Patriots' way because so many things have to go right from having the right time to work with, having a quarterback that you can trust that makes up for a lot of shortcomings on the roster. You know, it's like the Patriots are a perfect storm of sorts. They have all those components and other teams lack either the long-term outlook or the franchise quarterback. So it's really tough to, to replicate what New England is doing. That is actually a really good point. One, that it's Belichick's early success and continued success that has sort of given him the reign to make some decisions that perhaps other coaches, other GMs, other personnel directors, you know, wouldn't necessarily have the have the cachet to make. And the other point being that the quarterback in New England has over the years covered, you know, some flaws, especially at times on defense, maybe some flaws with uh, with lack of weapons at times on offense. So I, I think perfect storm is, is a great way to put it. Yeah, and I mean, it's like the, the Patriots uh, are not that unsimilar to other teams like the Ravens or the Steelers. They also had head coaches who had success early, who were trusted. They invested in quarterbacks like Ben Roethlisberger and um, Joe Flacco. So those are kind of like the models. Of course, nobody reached the level the Patriots have reached just yet because Belichick is so much better of a coach. Brady is so much better of a quarterback. But other teams have tried this model too, and they have succeeded. So it, I think it can work. It's just so much need to, needs to come together for it to work like six Super Bowl titles like. Yeah, I think that's a, uh, that, is, that is the goal for everyone, but, but you have to get to one first. Yeah, of course, absolutely. So last question for you, Burned, as we look at the AFC East and we look at challengers to the Patriots, obviously we talked about how much longer Tom Brady would play, how much longer Bill Belichick would coach. When you look at the AFC East, you've got the, the Miami Dolphins, you've got the New York Jets, you've got the Buffalo Bills. Maybe not necessarily in 2019 will we see any of those teams be able to really rise up and challenge New England. But if you look at those teams, do you see one that's an up-and-coming team that you think, boy, a couple of years down the road, I think this is the team that might be be the one that finally challenges the Patriots at the top of the division? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I mean, it's if I look at the mo two most important components as being quarterback and head coach, 
I will say it's not the Jets because I don't trust Adam Gase. I'm also not quite sure about the Buffalo Bills because I think Sean McDermott has done some good things with the team. They have a really solid roster. But Josh Allen still needs to show that he can be a franchise quarterback. So because of that, I will probably pick the Miami Dolphins. Josh Rosen was, for me personally, the best-suited quarterback of last year's draft. I mean, he went through a totally disastrous situation in Arizona, but the kid can't play, even though it hasn't shown yet at the NFL level. And I also really think Brian Flores knows his stuff. He's, I mean, he went from assistant coach to defensive signal caller to head coach in a three-year succession span. So he's really a fast writer, and Belichick saw something in him to make him the next de facto defensive coordinator, and the Dolphins saw something in him to make him their head coach. So I feel like they have the best balance between those two powers, quarterback and head coach, which is why I would pick the Dolphins, but it really a lot depends on how those young passes develop and how the coaches develop alongside them. That's a very interesting choice to me for the simple reason that when you look at the three teams right now, it would look like the Dolphins would be the one, the one team that is the farthest away. I agree. I think in, in 2018, they, uh, 2019, they will probably be the worst team. But if the Dolphins really trust Brian Flores to, to build, build the organization the way he learned it in New England, then I can see them potentially being better in the long term than those other two teams. But that's just my opinion, and I've been wrong many times in my life before, so don't hold me accountable on that one. Hey, being wrong is the uh, is the nature of the beast here. It's uh, it, yeah. it it's it's part of it's just it's just part of the deal. Yeah, that's that's why that's why they call it a wrong cast. <laughs> All right, hey Burned, I have really enjoyed this. Thank you very very much for you know for spending some time with me today. Uh, why don't you tell folks where they can uh, where they can follow you on Twitter? you know, what you guys might have coming up at Pat's Pulpit if uh, if folks want to check your work out. Well, first of all, uh, thanks for the invitation. I really enjoyed talking to you. It's like, I mean, I wish we could have talked more about the history between the Giants and the Patriots because it's so illustrious. But <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, thanks for the invitations. Thanks for talking to me. Uh, thanks for all the work you do at Big Blue View. Uh, every now and then I check in and I really enjoy it. So Thank I'm, you. I'm, ste- I'm like stealing ideas from my own. Oh, we articles. steal. We we all steal from each other. You know, there's yeah. there's there, there's nothing new and yeah. and there's nothing off limits either. <laughs> I mean, I, I have to follow the Patriots tradition of stealing stuff. You know. <laughs> oh well, you know, yeah. All right. Yeah, we're, about we're gonna, that. No, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna anyway. lock we're gonna lock you out of Big Blue View then. No more. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, well. If you enjoy what I'm blabbing about or writing about, uh, please visit patspulpit.com. 
And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Bernd Buckmaster. And I need to spell it because it's so difficult to write. It's basically B-E-R-N-D-B-U-C-H-M-A-S-S-E-R. And at Pat Pulpit, if you want to follow, like, not only me, but my team covering the Patriots for SB Nation. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right. All right, Giants fans, that's our show for today. Burned, thank you very much. And Giants fans, please remember to... Uh, to subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.